Hello, this is the Ether Podcast, and I'm Rodrigo. Hey, this is Ryan. And I'm Rachel. And uh, we have come to the very, very end on our series on the Book of Mark. In uh, this podcast, we're going to cover three chapters, uh, just because we felt that we wanted to talk about the events preceding the crucifixion, the crucifixion, Jesus' death, and the resurrection all in one podcast, and we wanted to sort of close this series in a nice little package with a nice little bow and uh, we also much like the video we'll we will talk about a little bit here in a second about the events surrounding Jesus's death but that is not necessarily the focus of this podcast because we really felt like we needed to go in the direction that Mark was going in his gospel and it's not that he covered that he doesn't cover the events of the crucifixion he certainly does but there's sort of been a pattern that we've been following all throughout the book and i think is one that is also present in these last three chapters and it does take us to a place uh where the book ends very abruptly and that's sort of what we want to focus on the most but before we get to that part we certainly want to talk about the events that happen in these three chapters and I will summarize them really quick. And if I miss anything, Rachel or Ryan, you guys can fill in the blanks as soon as I'm done. Totally. So I will do my best. And in true Mark fashion, we will do this fast and action-packed. <laughs> and I did some karate chops in the air there just to what? emphasize the fact that this We're is going to be action-packed. One single breath. of pow That's and right. wham <laughs> if we had a video. Right. <laughs> so basically, chapter 14 opens with a woman coming to anoint Jesus for his burial. And uh, this is a woman that comes with a very expensive perfume. And the men that are there basically are indignant and go, why do you do this? Jesus stops them and tells them, no, she's doing a beautiful thing because she's preparing me for my burial. And nobody really understands what's happening. And then uh, all of the events of that precede the arrest of Jesus happened. So uh, the Last Supper, Jesus sort of instituting uh, the, uh, the Lord's Supper. And he also says how he's going to be betrayed. Tells Peter that he's gonna deny him three times. And from there they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays a very intense prayer, trying to really surrender his will to what's about to happen. And obviously once again, a very famous passage in which he asks three of his disciples to come with him, and they fall asleep, and he wants them to stay awake. He does this three times, and then uh, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, or the soldiers of the Sanhedrin, come and arrest him, and they take him away. Uh, somewhere in there is a very strange passage about a boy following them in his underwear, and then being caught in him running away naked, which if you follow us on Facebook, I did a little thing about that, just a side note. And then... Uh, Jesus's uh, sort of bad trial begins, uh, the Sanhedrin trial, because it's not really a fair trial. They bring false witnesses, but eventually the crowd is convinced that Jesus is blasphemed and that he is against God. And then they begin to mistreat him in several ways. They beat him and they taunt him. And then he's taken in front of Pilate, which Pilate sort of uh, doesn't do much for Jesus. And he frees a known criminal instead of freeing Jesus. And then Jesus is mistreated, is given over to the Roman guard, who also beat him and mistreat him. And then Jesus is crucified. 
and dies on the cross and then three days later he resurrects did I leave anything you hit all the highlights I mean there's some other things that are in there but we'll definitely come back to all of this yes and let me do say because I don't want to make it seem like we don't care about the cross obviously the cross is a very important uh, event in the history of humankind and God it is the act by which we are redeemed and it is very important but uh, like I said I think um, Mark is taking his story in a very specific direction and that's really what we want to talk about because we want to make justice to the things that Mark wrote his gospel for and in Mark 1 his intent is made very clear in that he basically opens his his gospel by saying these are the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God so basically his intent is to show that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God mm -hmm. now here's the thing and we talked about this uh, while we were preparing for this podcast even though that is, that is his intent, um, it would seem on the surface that he doesn't do a great job. Because uh, one of the things that we talked over and over again in our podcasts and in our videos, and I think we something that we kept on coming back to, was one, the, um, the sort of the hurdles that people had to really believe in who Jesus was. And it's almost like all throughout the Gospel of Mark, the people that should have believed in Jesus or should have fully understood who he was, never did. And that goes for the uh, disciples, that goes for the Pharisees, that goes for the members of the Sanhedrin. And it is actually in the book of Mark, it is often the people who you would least expect that come and acknowledge Jesus, the poorest, the most uneducated, uh, the sinners. And this is even true for this past, these, this, these three chapters that we're talking about, because there's three, well, not necessarily three, there's two characters that are inserted in Mark's account of the crucifixion that sort of if you follow the patterns that uh, basically what I'm getting at is that there's two people in this story that don't really belong and even if going back to what we were talking about in our last few episodes uh, of the podcast we were talking about uh, Jesus in the temple and the fact that in many ways Jesus was doing away with the temple and temple leadership and sort of saying that they weren't having they had not done their jobs properly and again the members of the Sanhedrin should have acknowledged that this was the Christ and yet they didn't but this woman who brings a perfume does and at the end when Jesus dies strangely enough the one person that acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ in the whole recounting of the crucifixion is a Roman centurion which again is a very unexpected person to conclude that hey this is the Christ 
And so, but this has been a consistent pattern all throughout the book of Mark in which sort of the unexpected happens in that people had all these preconceptions and even the people who were closest to Jesus had all these preconceptions of who he was supposed to be and the book ends with nobody really getting that except the people who would least expect and in a second here we're going to talk more about the resurrection but I didn't know if you guys had anything to add about what I spoke about just now yeah I mean we spent the last couple weeks talking about how the Jewish people had been set up for success for Jesus' coming that they had the temple they had the law they had the prophets all pointing towards Jesus and prophesying that this coming leader is going to be here, that they're the ones that had the, the, the signs directing them towards Jesus, that we don't know when he's coming, but watch out for this guy. Here are some things to be prepared for. Here are some things to watch out for. Here are some ways that you'll recognize who he is. And it's the people who didn't have the roadmaps that ended up finding their way to Jesus. And the people who did have the roadmaps completely missed him when he shows up on the scene. And I think that it's, it's very surprising how Jesus keeps dropping in the names of people or characteristics about people that say, hey, this guy was a Samaritan. He didn't expect a Samaritan to be helpful here. This was a woman. You didn't expect a woman to be uh, responding to, to the gospel. This was a, uh, a Roman soldier who responded to Jesus and asked for help. And again and again, as you're saying, that we see people who should have seen it. And I believe it, we talked about it where even his own family came and said, this guy's crazy. I mean, they right. lived with Jesus, that, that Mary... <laughs> of all people you would think that Mary who knows that she had this child inexplicably that the Holy Spirit impregnated her and her response to when he actually starts to act like God is you're crazy all of this leads us very nicely to the way uh, that the resurrection well that the book closes not just the resurrection and if I may, these are only eight verses, so I would like to read them here. Um, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, and he's, uh, I'm sorry, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, 
just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb and trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So this is sort of the official ending of the book of Mark. If you're reading your Bible, there are some verses after this, but uh, those verses appear in later manuscripts of the book of Mark. So it's sort of the official ending of the book of Mark or the verses that I just read and they end very abruptly and it's not really much of an ending at least not a kind of ending that we're used to um, this was actually this is this the way that Mark ends this book wasn't necessarily unusual and it was a common uh, form of writing uh, for the time but I do want to touch on this because even here, and I mentioned this on the video that we shot for this particular passage, that even the uh, unexpected nature of the characters involved in the story is true even here. Because woman's testimony wasn't even allowed in court, and yet it is women who find the tomb that's empty. And now the book ends, and these women apparently didn't tell anybody of what happened. Well, they eventually do because we have it recorded. But, right, you know. they eventually do, but as far as Mark is concerned, they did it. And so we have the luxury of knowing that there's other Gospels, and we have the luxury of having the Book of Acts. And so we know that, and clearly we have the luxury of being Christian, so we know that's, I'm sorry, we know that somewhere along the line, someone said something, but it is a very interesting ending right. to a book that's supposed to be written to convince people that Jesus is the Christ. And it does seem that Mark does this on purpose because how, or at least how it should leave you is at the very least thinking, well, who was Jesus? What happens next? What am I to do with this? Right. And I think those are all questions that are really supposed to sort of thrust us into, at the very least, really wrestle with the question of who was this man that Mark just spent all this time talking about? Yeah. I think as we look at so much of the rest of the Bible, we start seeing that there's story after story that doesn't have these nice endings that we sort of expect something, you know, in our modern fiction, you know, you pick up a book from the, the library or whatever, and it ends with some sort of resolution that, that the problem gets solved or um, the people come back together or they make some decision and something happens. But there's some sort of end. And you're right, it, it just feels completely open. But there's so many stories, I think, that we we can read throughout the Bible that have this same sort of mentality. I think about the book of Jonah, um, where Jonah is only four chapters long. Chapter one, um, he uh, is told by God to go to Nineveh, and he runs. And in chapter two, he's in the fish. And chapter three, he goes to Nineveh, and they repent. And in chapter four, he's looking over the city of Nineveh, upset that God has has spared them from destruction 
and he says, I'd rather die. And that's how the book ends. Right. And I think that there are these moments throughout the Bible that are designed to force us into a, a space where we have to figure out, what do I mm. do with this? That I think if it, if it has its own resolution, you feel like, I don't have to do anything about this, that it's been taken care of, that a solution has been presented, and, and this is how it ends, and this is how it kind of wrapped up, that there isn't as much of a feeling that I have to become personally involved, I think, if there's an ending. Um, but it does definitely sit very uncomfortably, and you feel like, I want it to I want it to close. I want that cord to resolve and I want it to to feel nice. But I think that it makes me invest myself in the story and say, how do I respond? What would I do? What what would the end of this story be? And I think hopefully it inspires conversation between people. You know, if you're reading it with a group of people and to say what do you think happened next? What would you do if you were in that situation? And those conversations lend themselves more to a situation that is unresolved than one that seems to have a natural conclusion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. When you were when you were um, sharing, Ryan, the thing I kept thinking is, I think that is the purpose: is to solicit conversation among people I mean you know we have all had that experience where we go see a movie that has um, a cliffhanger ending or not everything is resolved and what do you do afterwards you sit around with the people that you watch the movie with and you have conversation about the movie because I think as humans we naturally want that resolution um and so I think mm -hmm. ending it the way that it is, if, you know, as the early manuscripts show, um, it, it, it's like you read it and you look around and you have to start asking other people, what do we do? What do I do? It reminds me of the, um, the reaction in Acts 2 um, when Peter is preaching and, you know, it says that the people responded, what do we do? Um, so I feel like in a similar way that maybe that that's where Mark is, like he, he wants you to do something with this. Mm -hmm. So where do you yeah, suppose think, that, that these next verses come from, though? Well, so there's different theories. One of them, um, so it, it seems as though the following verses don't appear until later on, maybe closer to the second century. And it seems that people increasingly, as the Book of Mark were circulated, uh, weren't satisfied with the ending. Another thing that I read, which is not necessarily a bad explanation, is that if uh, supposedly Mark wrote his gospel while in Rome there were many Christians who were going on who were undergoing persecution and part of the reason why he ended the way that he did and they're sort of not 
this uh, full-blown proclamation of this is the Christ with the way in which he ends his book may have been, which again, this is very much speculation, may have been to sort of protect the disciples who were in Rome from any heavier of a persecution because if he came out straight up and said, hey, this is a king, uh, it wouldn't have been maybe worse for them. But I do think, and again, I, I can see how something like that could be an explanation why. And certainly, I think part of this, even this discussion that we're having, some of it uh, is very tentative in a sense, in that we don't really know the the reason why Mark ended this way. I do think that there is an element of it that, as you guys said, it, it does create discussion. I think in many ways is a lot more engaging. And in in a way, what, what I love about this is that um, the resurrection of Christ, which again, this, this last few verses cover, the resurrection of the Christ basically are not the end of the story but just the beginning and Mark leaves us in a place where the story doesn't really end but I think for us and for the people who sort of been following the narrative of what he wrote it is as much a beginning as it is an end because at the very least I think it, it leaves it on the hands of the reader to scratch their heads and say what do I do with this mm -hmm. and and again I think we have the luxury of knowing that that there's other gospels and that we have the book of Acts and the epistles but but in putting all this together and in preparing for tonight and all this stuff, one of the one of the things that I really tried to go to was if this was the only gospel we had and it ended in verse eight, what would I do? Like where would that leave me? Huh. And I think probably the best place that I can go to is you know what, I think one of the things that is good about this ending is that Mark is leaving us there in that place in which we have to do the rest of the work. Yeah. And and I think especially now that there's been thousands of years of Christian history and thousands of years of church history and things that have come and gone and different beliefs and now all these denominations and you know different differences in stuff like baptism and praying Jesus to your heart and you know once saved always saved all of this stuff like I think one of the things that reading this this gospel forces you to it's it's almost it almost forces you to forget all of that forget all of these years of history and everything that we've known and say, man, do I, do I really believe in Jesus? Given everything that Mark has presented me, what about Jesus? This is where the book ends. The woman didn't tell anybody. 
but he rose from the dead. What do I do with that? What does that say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you just take that, that is awesome. The fact that somebody would be raised from the dead, the fact that he said that he would, the fact that the Old Testament said that the Messiah would, wouldn't die, that he would be, that, that again, like that God would protect them, that he is sort of a, a renewal and a new beginning for us. Like, all of that is true. And again, I think for, I think one of the things that we can't forget is that for a Jewish audience, that there is all of this history and all these, all this pre-knowledge of who the Christ was supposed to be. And as things are revealed about the Christ, things should pop in their mind and be like, yes, yes, this is him. Yeah. And certainly the resurrection and his death are supposed to be big statements of that. Well, just reading the last, uh, reading verse 8, I was going to say the last verse, but verse 8, um, where the women run away and don't tell anybody, I feel like this fire burn within me to, to say, what do you mean? What do you mean they didn't tell anybody? And, and feel this, this, this fire to be like, I have to tell people. Here's this amazing moment, and they didn't tell anybody. And it feels inspiring in sort of an infuriating way to to go and and tell somebody and to be like you gotta you gotta hear this you gotta know what's happened you gotta hear what what's gone on Mm -hmm. um and so i think that's one of the things that it does for me and just hearing the way that it seems to have ended originally is this feeling of this has to spread this has to go out People have to know this. Yeah, definitely. I think um, going back to something you said, Rodrigo, because I think not everyone listening will have um, maybe done research on biblical manuscripts. So I think it's... Wait a minute. What? (laughs) I think it's also important to talk, because I remember learning this, and it even just learning this part was kind of mind-blowing, that there are many different copies that we have of the books in the Bible, um, and the New Testament in particular, we have lots of manuscripts connected to the New Testament. Um, so when we talk about, you know, like when we see these m- notes um, in the Bible, you know, in my version, it says some of the early manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20 of chapter 16. And, I, you know, you could just read that and be like, what? What does that mean? Um, but there are lots of different manuscripts we have about on Mark, because um, if you think about it, you know, to circulate things quickly, it'd be best to copy it. And so you had to copy it by hand. Um, and then, Rodrigo, from what it sounded like you were saying, is you said by some of the manuscripts closer to the second century has... Um, the later verses but that is not very far when you think of manuscripts in general like if you were to use manuscript years in manuscript years that is not very far from the original text as one might think so we're not talking about four five hundred years after the original text is written new verses pop up 
Yeah, I think also we have to remember that that the words that are in the Bible were approved by disciples many centuries mm-hmm. ago. That people looked at these and said, "We believe in the the authorship of these scriptures." And so it's not like these things just showed up because somebody was like, "Hey, you know what we should do is wrap up that book, Mark." <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You know, it's not like adding a third verse to a song um, later on. It's it's the disciples and the church leaders looked at this and said, for whatever reason, and I haven't done enough research on it, there's something about these manuscripts and this piece at the end that this needs to be included, that we trust in what it's saying, we trust in its authorship, we trust in it enough to include it as a part of the Holy Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Well, unless I'm getting my dates wrong, the sort of a stamp on what was canon in theory would have happened before these were added or as they were being added. And see, that's the tricky part. And, and not that I want to now diverge into all these conversation about uh, manuscripts, but uh, well, it the Council of been, Nicaea was in three hundred um, and something, right? No, but it wasn't in Nicaea. Nicaea was um, a whole discussion about the nature of. But Christ. they also put the canon. There was another council. No, it was someplace else. Hippo something that was about the canon. Um, but I I think, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I don't know that there's anywhere that which version they approved, I'm not sure. But we do know that at the very least, Mark, people saw it and was that uh, they were, they basically said, yes, this, this was written by Mark and so, about Christ. so this is interesting. As even as we're talking, I'm able. I'm looking up biblicalarchaeology.org, and they're talking about this. And they had an article written, you know, just in April, and they're saying that that even though Mark shows up second in the Gospels, um, scholars and historians are almost universally agreed that Mark is our earliest gospel by right, several decades, one. and this insight turns out to have profound implications for our understanding of the Jesus story and how it was passed down to us in our New Testament gospel traditions. And they have some different pieces of information. Um, They are saying that the original ending of Mark was viewed by later Christians as so deficient that not only was Mark placed second in order in in the New Testament, but various endings were added by editors and copyists in some manuscripts to try and remedy things. The longest concocted ending, which became Mark 16, 9 through 19, became so treasured that it was included in the King James Version of the Bible, favored for the past 500 years by Protestants, as well as translations of the Latin Vulgate used by Catholics. This meant, for that, this meant that for countless millions of Christians, it became sacred scripture, but it is patently bogus. You might check whatever Bible you use and see if the following verses are included. Um, and even though this ending is patently false, people loved it. And to this day, 
conservative Christians regularly denounce liberal scholars who point out this forgery, claiming that they're trying to destroy God's word. Well, those are those are wrong words. (laughs) No, very. And and see, I was actually about to say um, that there's nothing, even though it's not in the earlier manuscripts. There's nothing. wrong per se like it's, it doesn't there's no uh there's no false doctrine in it it's basically like a summary of what happens after it's all those verses are i that is very strong to say that it's bogus because it really it's not like there's it's just a really if you read it it's a summary of all the stuff that happens next mm-hmm. it's a summary of of all the stuff that all the other gospel authors Included included past the woman coming to the tomb is really a summary of that stuff, so it's it's not very harmful. But but now that we've taken this detour, let me. I'm bring sorry. Us, bring us I just think it's important to know, like, to, for people to know that when you see a note like that in the in the Bible, there's a lot. There could be a lot more to it that you can get into if you want to, and it doesn't have to rock your faith. No, and let me bring it back. As I was trying to bring it back, and you tried to take it back. Let me bring it back to what we were talking about, because uh, I do. Uh, I think one of the challenges in putting this gospel together is I, 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 this gospel, this podcast together, was that I didn't want to leave it in a place of like, great guys, and so what. And so I do think that we sort of need to leave the people with a so what. And so where where are we now? Like, where, is, where does this leave us? If you take this ending, what does this leave us as readers? What does this leave us as people of faith? What does this leave us as people trying to learn about Christ and follow him and, and just read and learn from scripture what does that leave us Uh, i you know i was thinking as we were talking you know especially if mark is considered one of the earliest gospels written um he may not have had much to say after this anyway because not much had happened yet um and so even thinking about the way this ends um and that it ends so abruptly i think my first response to it is to want to look around and see well, what impact did it have? You know, what did happen afterwards? And to look for it in what's around, not just how am I going to respond to it, but how did the world respond to this? How did other people respond to this? What what impact did this story have? Um, and I think we can still have that response today, even though that this happened, you know, this was written 2,000 years ago. Um, if we just end in verse eight, we can look around and ask those questions. What, what has the story changed in the world around me today? Mm. Yeah. I think the thing that I come away with is looking at the deeds of Jesus that I really enjoy learning this stuff and taking this stuff in and sort of adding to my own knowledge. But I think the thing that I keep 
that I come away with is this understanding of Jesus as a man of action, that Jesus was not someone who simply rested on his, um, on his godliness, that I'm God, come to me and let people come to him, but that he went out and he was constantly on the move. He was constantly talking to people, engaging people, healing people, connecting with people, uh, teaching people. And for me personally, it's a challenge to be a person of action as opposed to a person of mm. understanding and a person of mm. um, of uh, just thinking biblical knowledge stuffs. Um, and so it challenges the way that I engage with Jesus. That it's one thing, I think, to engage him mentally. And I think it's important to engage mentally. Um, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. But I think that the over-examined life <laughs> is, is no life at all either, though. Right. Um, and so I need to be more about the mission. I need to be more about imitating the character of Jesus. Um, and, and also the fact that he is so surprising and that this story is full of surprises is not allowing my faith to stop surprising mm. me. Uh, meaning that it's very easy to fall into these comfortable patterns um, and to cease to be surprised by God. Mm. And I think that I've learned a lot about being surprised by Jesus, being surprised by the way that he acts and engages people and it expanded my understanding of who he is and who he was. Um, and so all those different things that I kind of come away with, um, but definitely the most important, I think, of being a man of action um, in seeing who Jesus was. Uh, you know, I think for me, one of the, the most challenging things was to see the whole idea, and again, this is something. This is something that we touched on so many times throughout this whole series. This idea that neither knowledge nor proximity guarantees a true acknowledgement of of Christ, mm -hmm. and I think that's true for each and every single one of us. And that it's so easy to take for granted everything we have when it comes to Jesus and church and scripture. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's easy to lose a sense of curiosity. It's easy to lose a sense of awe. It's easy to lose all of the things that made Jesus special. The fact that he could perform these miracles, the fact that he had awesome teachings, the fact that his teachings, even to this day, challenge our quote-unquote Christian culture. I think 
to really understand the teachings of Jesus in the book of Mark challenges a lot of the things that we believe as Christians today. To, to be challenged to, to love the way that he calls us to love, to be challenged to be disciples the way that he calls us to be, which is to deny everything, to, to reach to the, to the poorest and to reach to the outcast and to the whole, even the whole idea of welcoming children and how they're the standard for entering the kingdom, even to be challenged to be like a kid, I think is, is challenging. I think sort of dis discovering or rediscovering all these things along the journey of putting these series together and putting these lessons together and these podcasts together, I think it's been challenging in that sense. It's it's so easy to take Jesus for granted. It's so easy to um, to just be comfortable with church. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to just be comfortable with, you know, I get up in the morning, I read my Bible, and um, and to, I think, especially the ending, and to leave it in such a, an abrupt and, in a certain extent, a challenging place. I think... You know, one of the, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm not, I remember if we talked about this in one of the videos or in another one of the podcasts is, is it's almost like Mark is purposely putting obstacles in front of us <laughs> to not believe that Jesus is the Christ. And it's almost like he wants us to, to jump these barriers that we put our, on ourselves. And he shows how he challenges society and how he challenges religious culture and how he challenges uh, or common uh, sense understanding of things like somebody shouldn't raise from the dead, right? You know what I mean? And and the fact that he that he says that somebody was raised from the dead, and yet there's there's no one to corroborate the story aside from what he is writing. Again, he's putting hurdles in our way to believe whether what he's saying is true or not. But I think in a sense, it's a challenge. It's it's a challenge of do you really believe? And I think even in in going back to to our very first podcast that we did in the first very first video that we did, if this was in fact written in the context of persecution, to for Mark to even put it out there for people who are in the midst of suffering because of their belief, to say like, hey, do you really believe? Is this really what you believe? Are you really ready to die for this man who you say is Christ? Look at all the things that could get in the way. And I think right. ultimately one of the places that Mark is really taking us is a place of measuring the sincerity of our faith. And again, if if I were, I tried again and again to put myself in the shoes of the disciples, in the shoes of the Pharisees, man, had I been there, had I heard and seen all of the things, like, would I have believed? And I think what's really challenging is, like, if the Pharisees didn't, and if the men of the Sanhedrin didn't, and if the disciples fully never really <laughs> understood until after, yeah, man, like, how lucky how lucky am I that I have all this material that I can learn from 
how lucky am I that maybe those challenges aren't the same? But at the same time, how grateful should I be for what I have? And how eager should I be to never take it for granted? I think that, to me, is like a place that again and again I've been going to. And I think it's really left me with a desire to honor and... Uh, to honor Jesus more, to be more humble, to just like Ryan was saying, to, to do more for him. You know, this, if anything, man, it, it fires me up about what we're doing. And and I'm not saying that to to uh, toot our horn in a sense, but to, to really say, man, to spread the gospel and to, and to talk about Jesus and to have these conversations, it's crucial to our faith and I hope one of the things that I hope this does do for people that are listening is maybe it starts a bunch of questions in your life and maybe it is sort of the beginning of a journey for you to to want to know more and for you to challenge your faith more and for you to want to go deeper with Jesus because I do feel that that is one of the places that Mark wants us to go to mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this, about what does this look like to really make Jesus the the treasure of our lives, to really have him as the center of our lives? What does that, what does that do to the decisions that we, we make? Um, and in Philippians 3, Paul talks a lot about this idea of forgetting what's behind meaning the things that I've already done and the things I've accomplished and straining towards what is ahead where there's always a new challenge, a new obstacle, a new thing to learn about Jesus and reaching to, to know more about Jesus, to be more like Jesus, to have more of him and to throw off the things that, that the world tells me I should value and worry about and push it to the side and thinking about how over time our lives should become even more and more like Jesus. That, that Paul talks about the, the important things in life are not the things that we tend to think of, biblical knowledge being one of them, but compared to knowing Jesus I consider this a loss. And in fact, and I can I can spend all the time in the world reading books, I can spend all the time listening to podcasts, all this time reading and absorbing and taking more information in. But what I really want to pursue more is mm-hmm. Jesus. Knowing him and having him as a part of who I am and it it challenges me to think about what does my life look like now? You know, I, I got baptized in 1995. And so I've been a disciple for 23 years. And what does my life look like now as a 23-year-old disciple? Does it look the same as when I was a 13-year-old disciple, when I was a 5-year-old disciple? Am I living the same kind of life or am I pressing on 
forgetting what's behind and saying, I've got to have more of Jesus mm. and treating him like that treasure that, that when Jesus says, um, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he went and sold everything that he had and joyfully came back and bought the field of, of saying, there's nothing that I could hold on to that is worth more than what I'm going to find in this treasure. And I'm going to get rid of all these things so that I can have more of Jesus. And it, I've been thinking a lot about radical faith and radical decisions in life and what does that look like and what would that look like if I were to truly have a faith that pursued Jesus with all of my heart hmm. and Paul also says that everyone who's mature should have this perspective um, meaning to me that this is not something that is easy or that a young Christian is going to have it. It also doesn't mean that, it also says that it's not a salvation issue necessarily, but it's something that as we grow in our faith, it should become more a part of us. Right. And we should be able to continually say, the things that I have in my life satisfy me less and less because I'm constantly pursuing Jesus. And so I'm going to let those things fall to the wayside, whether that's things that don't matter, you know, uh, a big house, a fancy car, um, uh, even, even things about staying in, in the same city that I'm going to go and I'm going to do something because I feel like people need to know about Jesus. People need to know who he is. And so I'm going to push myself even harder and further. Um, but those are just some ideas that have kind of been bouncing around in my head and, and feel like they kind of dovetail with what we've been talking about here. All right. Rachel, you have anything to add? Um, I just think that... Um you know, when I read the Bible, I can look at the people in it and see the way that they respond and judge them <laughs> based on if they have a good response or not. Um, but the reality is, you know, I could very easily have been one of the people that didn't see Jesus for who he was, or I could have been someone who would reject him outright. Um, and I think sort of what Ryan was talking about, as you go further in your walk with God, keeping things new, um, keeping things fresh, because we're continually reading the same book. Um, so even for me, ending this series on Mark, just ending with the thought of if this is where Mark ended, what does it mean to me? What what do I take away with it? Just ending it there. You know, out of 20 years of reading the Bible, I've never had that question asked before. Um, so, you know, there there's always new th ways for us to look at the Bible and to learn. And I think that's why it's so good to have community 
with the Bible. Um, you know, so much of the Bible was meant to be read with a community of people. A lot of the Bible was meant to be read out loud. Um, and so I think it's really important for us to stay connected to our church communities, um, to have relationships that push us to dig deeper in the Bible and to dig deeper in our relationships with God. Um, you know, we're not meant to be isolated, sort of reading this ancient book by ourselves, um, that we are meant to be doing something with it, that we are meant to be learning from it, but not just on an isolated level of us with a book, but also us with other people. Well, I I do want to sort of end with this thought. I do think my greatest hope with sort of ending the series and uh, certainly all the stuff that we've covered is that even though this is the end of the series, I certainly hope that for many people listening and for many people um, that are listening to this and maybe discovering the Bible for the first time or somebody who's been a disciple for a long time, that this is a new beginning and a journey to love Jesus more Mm. or to maybe love Jesus for the first time. So with that thought, uh, we will close this podcast. Uh, We do want to remind you, as we do every time, that uh, this is a crowdfunded effort and that we are so appreciative of your support. Uh, If you like what we do and would like to support us and would like us to continue to produce uh, content that helps you grow in your spiritual life and that helps to grow the gospel, uh, please consider becoming one of our Patreons. You can find us on patreon.com forward slash ethermmc. And also, you can contact us in social media, uh, in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at EtherMMC. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we are working on our next series, which is going to be about studying the Bible. So we're very excited about that. Yeah. And as soon as that comes out, which we'll be working on it already, uh, we will (laughs) let you know. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.